Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Sable Library podcast. Uh, this week, in lieu of your usual host, Alex, we have uh, a trio of new people, not really new, but uh, new hosts for you to uh, listen to and enjoy. My name is Tori, and today we have Christina from the adult department. Hello. And Meg from the children's department. Hi. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, you guys. Today we are going to be talking about a genre of books that we all maybe enjoy, allegedly enjoy. We all read. We all read. I thought you were going to say love. <laughs> we all quote unquote love, uh, and that is romance books. Um, so I think a good way to start for anyone that might not be a big fan of romance books is for us to talk a little bit about what defines the genre and what is and what is not a romance book. Do you guys have some uh, thoughts on that? Sure. Um, reg- <laughs> regardless of the rest of the plot, a true romance book, novel, whatever we're going to call it, has to have a happily ever after. Romance readers are guaranteed a happy ending, which I tend to appreciate. Um I took a look at the the Romance Writers of America website to see, I was like, I know about the Happily Ever After. Is there anything else that has to be in a romance book? And they did feel the need to point out that it has to have a a central love story. (laughs) Because I guess there are books with a Happily Ever After that are not romantic, but people are still happy in the end. But uh, beyond that, pretty much anything goes, I guess, which is what leads to some of the subgenres that we're going to talk about. So... I actually, in the spirit of, of Alex, I looked up some facts. You channeled his spirit. I channeled his spirit, and uh, I researched some statistics for us to uh, think about about the romance books. Uh, I found an article by Book Riot from last year, and they said that as of 2018, romance generates $1.3 billion per year in the U.S., and it's one of or the most popular genre. Uh, 25% of all books sold and 50% of all mass market paperback, uh, paperback books sold, which I'm actually surprised that that's not bigger for the mass markets. It probably is now since most publishers don't really make them anymore. That's true. That makes sense. And more recently, after Book Talk and the pandemic and everyone really getting into books over the last few years, uh, in the first half of 2023, print sales of romance titles rose 35% over the same period in 2022. So even oh, though wow. print books are not selling as much overall, romance books keep rising every year, uh, the percentage of print books that are romance selling. So they're sort of saving the publishing industry, I guess. All those co-hos. All those co-hos. <laughs> Colleen Hoover. <laughs> the power of Colleen Hoover. What a sentence. <laughs> So anyway, uh, now that we've gotten those details out of the way, uh, let's talk about how we sort of got into romance and started reading this genre. Uh, Meg, what got you interested in the romance genre, and how long have you been reading it? I would have to say that I've always just been interested in happily ever afters. Like when I was a kid, I loved princess movies and stories about them. And so when I was in high school and middle school, I was really lucky that at that time there was kind of a... um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but a big trend and just really solid, fun, highly readable uh, YA fiction was coming out. And by readable, I mean, I mean, obviously everything is readable. It's a book, digestible. but digestible and just like fun, addictive books. So I've also mentioned on the podcast before that I got really into the Twilight series in middle school, but also um, 
other just fun romance stories at that point. And then as an adult, I got into like more actual romance reading after I graduated from college and I read The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. And that was sort of a little bit of a gateway into all other kinds of those fun um, cartoon cover romance novels that seem to be really popular today. And Christina, what about you? So I think my gateway into romance might have been fan fiction. I was uh, really big in... um, the Digimon fan fiction as a youth and wrote myself a lot of um, romantic Digimon fan fiction, which if I'm just saying Digimon, you might think it's between the digital was it the monsters. monsters. No, mm-hmm. it was between the Digidestined, which is like the teens who are partnered with the Digimon. It's also really big into Pokemon fan fiction with uh, Jesse and James from Team Rocket. And also, weirdly, Hey Arnold fan fiction. Between who? Helga so, and Arnold? No. Ooh. Like random... A couple? No. Like side characters and OCs. <laughs> hey Arnold OCs. What a concept. Can you... What side characters? Just, well, like just, Chocolate Boy and like there's the Pigeon Man. I forget. what the Pigeon Man and an OC? Yeah. Just to clarify for the listeners who might not know and be familiar with fan fiction, OC is an original character. So it's when you are inspired by the universe enough to create a character of your own. Yeah, this is very vulnerable of me to admit that I have Hey Arnold OCs. And this is a safe space. <laughs> hey Arnold OCs that fell in love with the Pigeon Man. The Pigeon Man deserves love. Oh, I'm not saying he doesn't. This is just, wow, stories I didn't know existed. But if Did I, you write Hey Arnold fan art? I, uh, fan I sure did. Oh. Yeah, and I had a, a website on Angel Fire. Wow. Not to reveal my age. These are are fandom deep cuts from from the early internet days. That's amazing. So how did that transition into romance books? I don't know that it did automatically. Like, I probably got out of fan fiction in my um, late teens. And um, I don't think I read another romance book until I read Outlander in, like, I don't know, maybe, like, 2013. So Outlander, I think, is my gateway even though it is the um, only the first book really can be categorized as a romance and only probably just barely. Like, <laughs> I have so many thoughts about Outlander that I'm just... We might have to do an Outlander episode of the podcast <laughs> we to cover it to. all because there's a lot of... There's so much. There's Diana Gabaldon still isn't done. No, and no. she started writing these books in the early 90s. She's going she's gonna to be done. I, can't, I couldn't even read. I read like eight of them. And then I was like... Wow, what if one more person gets raped? I might die. That's when I physically stopped myself. When she was kidnapped multiple times in one book, I said, hey, maybe I'm done. But then you went on to find other more palatable romance. Yes, very much so. Very cool. Well, I am last, so I will... I, nothing as exciting as the Hey Arnold fan fiction with, with OCs for Pigeon Man uh, as a love interest. But I will say I have realized recently that I'd, I don't think that I started out as a romance fan, so I, I have assumed that I was for a really long time, but I realized that most of the romance books that I read when I was younger are actually a slightly different genre called chick lit, which was, it's not really a genre anymore, it's, people do not like that name, but it was like an adjacent genre of books about young women having a career and having romantic entanglements and living their lives and being messy. I think that's a say. They're frequently messy. 
I think they're almost exclusively almost messy. Almost exclusively messy in an endearing way. Sometimes they're British. Um, when I was a teenager, like when I finally got my teen library card, my mom told me I could check out any book in teens or adults. So I would go through adults and pick out the ones with the covers that looked fun. And they were sort of the precursors to the, the cartoon covers that romance books have now. They would always have like a shoe or a martini on them. Like Sophie Kinsella and like Meg Cabot. Yes. Those are some of my examples. Uh, Not to jump. No. I, I actually was really conflicted about whether Meg Cabot counted because I feel like she's kind of romance. She, well, she wrote romance mm-hmm. under a pen name for oh, many true. years. Patricia Cabot. Patricia Cabot. And then has sort of circled back around to writing romances where like massive natural disasters happen. So <laughs> she's always got to throw something else in there. But the ones that I was reading that I I remembered when I was recalling uh, my early days were like uh, the Confessions of a Shopaholic series by Sophie Kinsella, which I didn't like, uh, and the Bridget Jones Diary series by Helen Fielding, which is like pro- probably the most famous. I would say the Mediator series is probably romanticing. Mediator, which by Meg Cabot. Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, and then Jemima J by Jane Green and anything by Cecilia Ahern. Like in my mind, I thought, oh, these are romances, but tragic things frequently were going on in them. Because they were romances, but they were also more, it's not really slice of life, but like you're seeing more in the characters' lives than just their romantic entanglements. The tropes are there, but it's not limited to just focusing on that. Um, So that's, then I, because of the similarities, I think, you know, Chicklet has sort of died out in the years that have passed since then and what's left is romance so I just kept reading them but uh as Christina and Meg both know frequently I'll read a romance book and absolutely hate it uh almost every time so that's why I'm not sure if I'm a romance fan but I do read them she reads quite a lot of them Mm -hmm. enough to be on this episode of the podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about some of our favorite subgenres of romance so we'll be right back And we're back, uh, and we are now ready to discuss some of our favorite books from some different subgenres of romance. Um, Meg, would you like to lead us through our different options here? Sure. So should I just go with an overview of some of our options? So we kind of broke up some subgenres first, and we were thinking of romanticy, which I know we just mentioned earlier, which for those of you who are unfamiliar is a combination of romance novel and fantasy story. So it's typically a book that takes place in some kind of fantastical world or maybe even has elements of paranormal or um, like magical realism, um, as well as like a really significant romance plot. We also have romance manga, sports romance, um, and as well as just plain old regular romance stories. So should we jump in with romanticy? I think that's the big one right now. Yeah. Christina, what's your favorite? Oh, God. My favorite romantic I don't even think I can answer that. What is the one, Tori, that I don't know the name of? It's like the serpent and the wings of fury. Unfortunately, I also don't know the name of it. It's by Carissa Broadbent. I don't know. It has one of those titles where, like, it's just, it's just two things. The thing of thing and thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a vampire story, but they're also kind of, they're just fae who drink blood. And then there's like a, kind of of like a Hunger Games-esque 
competition going on and it was really fun. I say it's that like, oh, this is my favorite, but I couldn't even tell you the name of it, which is wild. I, I they all blend together a little bit. I read a bunch like right in a row that were all pretty good. There does tend to be that theme in this subgenre where it's just like, it's usually a young human and an older, some other type of creature. A very ancient <laughs> male. <laughs> yes, she's she's the adopted daughter of the vampire king, so she's oh. she's human, and everybody else in this Hunger Games is a vampire, and they're all fighting to be the king of vampires. I think. What happened to her stepdad? I th- well, so the po- if she wins, then there'll be some kind of weird like soul bond between her and her dad, and <laughs> I need to find the title of this book. It's it's weird. And if someone else wins, is she betrothed to them? No, she's dead. Oh no! <laughs> really high stakes here. Yeah, where does the like romance the come into play? Just like the Hunger Games. Um, she forms an alliance with another vampire because mm. he can help shield her because she doesn't have any powers or anything. You mentioned the like sort of sameness that some of these books can share. And it's interesting because when you were describing that, I kept thinking of other books that these plot points were similar to. Uh, like her forming an alliance in a competition reminded me of Throne of Glass, uh, which is about an assassin Okay. Who's in an assassin competition? It's the Serpent and the Wings of Night by Carissa Broadbent. That one definitely sounds unique. Thanks, Christina. Uh, <laughs> I So I thought immediately what was going to get brought up uh, in this discussion of romanticy was going to be Fourth Wing, which I know has been discussed on the podcast before, but it is like the moment right now in romanticy, uh, which how can you even describe it? It is also sort of like... Like a million other like a, fantasy books. There's like a Hunger Games divergent uh, there's vibe a, to There's it. a school. There's a magic school, but with dragons. Oh, and also dragon. it's the military. So basically there's a girl who's essentially been raised to be a librarian her whole life. Um, but her mom is the head of the military and says, no, you're actually going to be uh, a dragon girl and learn how to fly a dragon and fight in our military. And she is so physically weak that this makes no sense. And everyone is against it. However, she does prevail and become perhaps the most powerful dragon wielder in their whole world. Uh, and she also finds love along the way. And it's an enemies to lovers. Uh, her worst enemy who wants to kill her is also the person who she or ends up. Or does he? Or does he? <laughs> uh, but it just like took the world by storm last year. And I know all three of us were enthralled by it. Um, so that was one of my favorites from last year. Yeah, me too. And I know I've also talked about Fourth Wing on here, um, but it came out in May of last year, and it's just crazy how it is still everywhere. Um, the sequel just came out in November, and we think it's going to be a four, five, wait, how many books? I think it's supposed to be five still. A projected five book series, and so far two of them are out, and people are still talking about it everywhere. I feel like I've actually seen it more still than I have with the new Sarah J. Mass book, who's another huge author in this genre. Fourth Wing is by an author named Rebecca Yaros. But um, Sarah J. Mass has written three very important, important, beloved, just, I don't know about beloved, but just 
wildly popular. Widely read. Yes. <laughs> um, romanticy series. She and probably started this current wave of romanticy. Like, you know, there was paranormal romance had its moment like maybe 10 years ago and mm-hmm. it morphed into this. And now she's led the... Oh, for sure. Yeah. And all of the books that sound really similar all sound pretty similar to her books. To her titles. Yes. Exactly. There's a lot of courts and there's like a court of something and something. And she very famously has her A Court of Thorns and Roses series. Um, but yes, the third book in her Crescent City series just came out last week. And I feel like I'm still seeing fourth wing things more than Sarah J. Mass things, which is wild because she has a more recent new book. Perhaps it is the content of that book. <laughs> <laughs> I am actively reading the third Crescent City book, and it is something. Looking forward to reading it. Um, I also really liked, I, I thought it would be uh, worth it to mention a subgenre of a subgenre. Um, I think that some of the romanticy books can sometimes delve into like an urban fantasy, which is a separate fantasy genre where it's grounded in reality instead of being in like a fantastical world. It's in a world that's very similar to our own. And there's just maybe a magical element. Um, and these are really popular to combine with like a, a romance element. So a few years back I had enjoyed the uh, hidden legacy series, which I started halfway through and then went back to the beginning and started at the beginning, but it's about like a group of sisters in a magical family uh, and they all find these really gruff men <laughs> to fall in love with. <laughs> and there's always some sort of world-ending activity that they have to collaborate with the men in order to stop. Uh, and also, for some reason, maybe their magic is going to get taken away. Because there's always like a magical society that you know is in charge of things and may punish you if you use your magic in the wrong way. So there, there are threats from all sides, but they're also falling in love at the same time. But the groundedness in reality makes it a little more accessible sometimes, I think, than straight up romanticy or straight up fantasy. So I really enjoy those as a a break from romanticy, which can be a slog when you keep doing too many of them in a row. There's only so many books you can read about fairies. The fae. Men with wings. Men with wings and pointy ears. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I should just add quickly, I did just talk probably for too long about Fourth Wing, but some other books I do tend to enjoy in this genre. I've read almost all of the Sarah J. Mass books. I have not read this recent one that Christina was so strongly supporting that I follow up and continue reading. But recently, I really, really enjoyed uh, Rebecca Ross's Divine Rivals. And then the sequel to that, which did just come out, and I do know the title of that one as well. Um... But those take place in a world that feels very similar to our own. I was reading it, and it's supposed to be a war between the gods in this other world. But as I was reading it, it felt very much like World War One, but fantasy. Um, and it's two characters that write letters to each other on these magical typewriters that they have. The follow-up is called Ruthless Vows. It was a really just sweet little duology. I enjoyed that one a lot. Um, another book that I've also, or kind of not really book, but I should say another author that I enjoy that sort of falls into romanticy, but is maybe a different kind of subgenre is Ashley Poston. So she's written The Seven Year Slip. And then um, another one that came out last year called The Dead Romantics. Yes, I read The Dead Romantics. Um, And they both kind of fall into my favorite genre, which is what I just like to call cartoon book covers. Um, 
but they also have elements of, I guess, the paranormal and magical realism more than true fantasy. Um, but they're romantic stories that kind of have their own world onto them. So um, dead romantics, there's a man who's sort of a ghost, but isn't really a ghost. No, I described it to someone else and they said it's like that movie with Mark Ruffalo, maybe, and perhaps Reese Witherspoon. It could be two other people. <laughs> In a movie that we're not sure the title of. Yeah. Um, but they meet... I thought maybe you guys perhaps would know if I described it that way. <laughs> um, they meet in the real world when they're both conscious. And then um, he finds himself in some sort of an accident where he's maybe in a coma. And then she ends up having to relocate to where her family's from. And she's in her hometown. And she is dealing with the family funeral home. Or she's at a funeral? Yeah, I believe that her, maybe her dad passed away, but is maybe also the funeral director. There were... Yeah. A lot of the book took place inside of a funeral home, and she starts seeing this ghost, or what she thinks is a ghost of this man that she met in her real world back in, I'm assuming, New York City, because now she's back in a small town. And it was just very sweet, um, and it had those elements where it's like, this is maybe a ghost, and this obviously isn't happening, but it turns out the whole time... Um, that they were falling in love anyway. It was beautiful. And of course, they are happily ever after. Of course. Including the funeral home, I guess. Anyway, should we move on to the next subgenre? Sure. Okay, romance <clears throat> manga. I think in this group, that's mostly me that reads that genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, manga, for anybody who doesn't read it, is um, Japanese comics, pretty much. Um, and I think in our anime episode previously, we talked about it a little bit and the different types of uh, manga that there are, some that are aimed more towards young girls or young women and some that are for young men. So a lot of the shoujo manga, which is geared towards young women, is romantic. And I think that I might have been reading longer than I've been reading um, some of the romance books for the, like a straight up romance. Um, so I, I have a long history with those, but... Romance manga sort of has its own tropes along with the ones that we're familiar with. There's a lot of love triangles. Uh, there's always like a very shy or clumsy character who ends up with like a really energetic, outgoing character so that they balance each other out. But that leads to a lot of like physical comedy, even in a serious series. And usually there's like a rival that will appear later in the series uh, once the, the couple has been established in a relationship to sort of throw things off. But... We already know there's a happily ever after, so it always works out. But a couple of series that I really enjoy that I think are good entryways to it, um, there's a series called Say I Love You by Kanai Hazuki, which is the story of uh, this teenager, May, who's a loner at her school because of some bullying that's happened in her past. Um, And then she accidentally kicks the most popular boy at school in the face. Uh, and then he finds himself like really intrigued by her because he sees that beneath her like withdrawn cover, there's like a really fiery personality. Um, so it follows them through high school and on through college, I believe a little bit, uh, as they fall in love with each other. But she also finds like friends, which she never had growing up and hobbies. And she finds that it's like, there's more enjoyable things to life than just being by yourself and withdrawing, uh, the artwork in the series is a little bit weird. It's very distinct, but it's just a really sweet series that I enjoyed. And another one that I think is really appropriate for libraries is called Library Wars Love and War by Kiro Yumi. 
Uh, and this is sort of like a genre crossing one. You could almost call it a romanticy in a no. Uh, but it's about sort of an alternate earth where the threat of censorship and book banning uh, has gotten to such a, a high level that libraries have become their own branch of the military to protect everyone's access to information. Um, so the main character, Iku, when she was young, she was in a bookstore trying to buy her favorite book and uh, someone tried to confiscate it, confiscate it from her to censor it. Um, and a man showed up and rescued her book as a representative of the library forces. So she decided that when she was an adult, she wanted to join the library forces and be that hero for somebody else. Um, but when she joins the library forces, her drill instructor is super mean and super harsh to her. Uh, and the reader knows, but she doesn't know that he is also the prince that saved her from her book getting stolen. So how will they manage their uh, adversarial relationship and find their way to love? It's a really great enemies to lovers story that also has like movie adaptations and TV adaptations. So if you don't want to read your, your romance, there's other ways that you can enjoy it. It's just a good story. So those are some of my favorite romance manga. Have you read any, Christina? No, I've read a couple of romance graphic novels. Um, but the only one that I ever think of is My Boyfriend is a Bear, which is about a woman who is in love with a literal bear. And <laughs> it might not even have a happy ending, truthfully, because, you know, bears are, bears, bears are famously. <laughs> um. <laughs> it just bears her famously. Let's just leave that hanging. I think I read a total. Let's do the pause. Let's pause. So, Christina, did you want to talk about any romance manga? I haven't read any romance manga, but I have read um, some romance graphic novels. One of my favorites is My Boyfriend is a Bear, where a woman who sort of has bad luck with men falls in love with a literal bear, which might seem like it has a little bit of danger to it, but it's actually a very cute story. Very cute love story. No aggressive bears. <laughs> and there is a happily ever after. There is a happily ever after. Wow. Uh, I do... The first thing that comes to mind when you say that, is the bear like a, um, an allegory or a, a metaphor for something? Or he just is a literal bear? No, he's a literal bear. Mm-hmm. Love comes in all places, I guess. Unrelated, but vaguely related. Sort of like Christina, I've never... I've read one romance, what can probably descri- be described as a manga... But manga and graphic novels are not really my genre. The level of attention that I need to be able to read them is just something that my brain does not tend to like. But I do love Pumpkin Heads by Rainbow Rowell, which book. is a very sweet um, YA graphic novel that takes place at like a fair or like a, like a pumpkin farm, patch. pumpkin patch. And it's two teenagers that work at the pumpkin patch. And I think it's their last night because it's the last night of the season. And they keep trying to like bump in with, to each other to work together. And they end up going through all the different parts of the pumpkin patch and like the cider stand and the maze and all the cute things. And it's just very, very sweet and very um, fills you with all the fun fall spirits. So even though it's February and we're thinking about Valentine's Day, it feels very Halloween-y. It's a good time. That one's definitely about the vibes. 
And it's one of those books, I feel like it makes you nostalgic for something that may not have even happened to you, but you're like, oh yeah, the pumpkin patch, and that time I had that romance at the pumpkin patch. Like, it, it really takes you there. It really does. It's very atmospheric. It's lovely. Uh, should we move on to our next one? Sure. Sports romance, which I said very enthusiastically because... Um, Meg is the queen of sports romance. I'm not, but you know, sometimes a good sports romance just hits, and the winter time apparently seems to be that time for me because this is the second year in a row that I found myself in what I'm calling my sports romance era. But I'll let someone else talk about their books first. So I actually have not, I don't think I've read any sports romances. I have never read a sports romance. So please, this is your chance to educate us on... I have zero interest in sports, so (laughs) it feels um, weird to read a sports romance. Okay. Well, we mentioned book talk before and how that's really influenced the publishing industry. Um, and I was a very happy witness to all of book talk kind of coming together in early 2020. And ever since then, I've just kind of been along for the ride. So at one point, I started noticing that hockey romances really seemed to be having a moment a couple of years ago, specifically with L. Kennedy's Off Campus series. Is that The Deal? Is the, the Deal, deal is the first book, and it's about a character named Garrett Graham who... She loves. Like, it's always so entertaining to me when an author writes series and there's just that one character that just keeps coming back and you can tell that the author is obsessed with this character and desperately wants their readers to be as well. Um, and Garrett Graham is that character for L. Kennedy. So there's four books in the off-campus series and it's about him and his romance and then several of his teammates. And then there's another sub-series that takes place in the same world That's about, I think, another hockey team. And then she wrote a novella a couple of years ago that takes place a couple years in the future. And it's like Garrett Graham and his future and his friends' futures. Like the happily ever afters now. They're sort of happily ever afters now, but then it kind of makes room for them having children. And then she just recently came out with another book that is about Garrett Graham's daughter, being in college. She just can't quit Garrett Graham. She cannot quit Garrett Graham. He was not the main character because it was about his daughter, but he was there so much more than I've ever seen any father in any romance novel. (laughs) Um, He was there with a video camera. (laughs) He was Amy Poehler in Mean Girls. (laughs) Um, Actually, kind of just the opposite, but still, it was fine. It was fun. Um, He wasn't a cool dad? No, but he desperately wanted to be. It was, it was interesting, but um, definitely hockey romances are really fun. So L. Kennedy is great for that. Helena Hunting has a lot of books, but um, that kind of are specifically hockey books. Which seems like it's the biggest sport in the sports romance. Maybe that's why winter draws you to it, because it's like a wintry vibe. I think it makes sense. I'm, I agree. But you've expanded into some other sports? I've expanded some other sports. Ice sports. I was just making a recommendation the other day to a friend who likes the Olympics. And so there's two figure skaters. Um, by There's a book by um, Mariana Zapata called uh, From Bukov with Love. So that, again, ties into winter. Um, should I mention the mushing book? I think you gotta. I think I already did. Um, there's another series that I love by K.A. Tucker. Um, that takes place in Alaska. And none of them are actually sports romances, except that the very last book in the series is about a veterinarian and a musher on the Iditarod, which is sort of a sport. And I loved it. I've read this book like three times. I don't know what there is about it that just scratches a very particular part of my brain. She did. And um, Tori hates 
It's so much, but I talk about it constantly. I love to hear about the mushing books. I don't know if I can see myself reading one. Although the sports part of a sports romance is not, it really takes a back seat. It's just the framework, and it's all about the romance. Exactly. Like, sometimes you will see the characters playing, especially if I've noticed, like, sometimes if the um, female main character um, is the athlete herself, there will obviously be a lot more sports because typically she is, like, our main focal point and point of view in the story. Um, But other times if she's just in love with an athlete... It's just some, like, added details of maybe he has teammates or they're out of practice. And it's kind of fun because you're in the world, but you're really not because you're reading a fun story. I'm guessing at one point there's, like, you have to include, like, a climactic game. Like, it's the big game. Either his big game or her big game or both. Just like the Mighty Ducks. And maybe there's a misunderstanding (laughs) leading up to the the game. And then they win the game. And then they They fall. They almost always win the game. That's part of the happily ever after. Well, how could he be happy if his team just lost lost the big game? game? Exactly. It's a great time. Highly recommend. The Super Bowl's coming up. Go read a football book. I didn't recommend any, but you should read one. It's an easy jump from the hockey romances to football and then to the Iditarod, I think. I think it just... just I think you've missed baseball. It is America's pastime, but is it sports romances pastime? Uh, There's a couple on the sports romance display that we've made. Um, The Bromance Book Club which is a wild concept to me. I cannot think of the author's name right now, but it takes place in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's a bunch of like famous athletes in the town as well as just like country musicians that are all friends and form this book club where they all read romance novels to help them have better romantic relationships in their real lives. Mm-hmm. And the very first book, the The Bromance Book Club, is about a professional baseball player who is really not appreciating his wife as much as he should and his bros in the romance book club make him read a fictitious romance novel so he can apply those traits of the hero into his real life marriage and it works romance books saving marriages since whenever that book was published um i also realized as we were talking about our other genres that we completely left out historical romance which is a big one which is a huge one. The, the big one. With a capital T and V and O, of course. So maybe before we jump into just regular, like, contemporary romances, maybe we should focus on some historical. Have either of you read any of those? So I also actually have to tap out on historical romances. For some reason, the, like, the top two things that I can't get into are, like, old-timey books and sports. So they're never able to really grab my attention, but I also think I haven't been recommended a really good one in a long time so i'm interested to hear what you guys have i think that's a big issue is that there are so many that it is sort of hard to like wade through the genre i've only read a couple myself one of them was like um eloisa james who i think is like oh yeah a very specific but i had to read it for for school they took a reader's advisory class and we had to read a historical romance book and that was one of the options i think it was like it's in the wild series all of the wild brothers <laughs> and um i'm not gonna say it's good it was not it was unhinged which is my favorite type of book personally. yeah like the main character is just like a lady who's maybe not interested in love and then the love interest is like a really famous man and, like, they interact at a party, maybe fall in love. I think he buys her a hedgehog. 
Like this is just things that occur in the book, but a really good one that I read. I really is... want to read this. Like we're laughing because it sounds. It might be called Wild in Love. It's the first one in the series. I've heard of this series before. Um, is um, The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. Um, it's a queer historical romance. So it is about two women who are, one is um, a widow and the other is just a young woman who never wants to get married um, to a man. And she ends, she, she just wants to do science and she ends up sort of like becoming the assistant to a widow who also loves to do science. But Talk the, about a meet cute. We both science, love science. The science society doesn't want women in it. Oh. So they are fighting to be accepted with their research, even though they've both made significant contributions, just unknown to the society because they've done it under like their father's name or their dead husband's name, things like that. It's very good. There's and then they three, fall in love. Then, yes, they fall in love. That's very important. I'm sorry. Over their they shared do, love of science. Over their shared love of science. Love. We. Wow. <laughs> um, I've read several, but also as you were talking, Outlander mm. is. Oh, I did. I was going to talk multiple about, like, points weird... in history, historical fiction. Yeah, um, but also like the weird, um, like I guess are they Highlander romances where mm-hmm. like there's a specific genre of historical sub sub genre. Mm-hmm. Of women going back in time and falling in love with, like, Scottish men. Or Viking or something. Yeah. But a lot of them do tend to be Scottish Highlanders. In, like, a very specific time period of Scottish history. Like the Braveheart era. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And was there a book from that subgenre that you like in particular? No. Outlander just made you think of... It just made me think. I I had read a bunch at the time because I was like oh, maybe I like these, but actually I don't. See, I too had a point where I was reading Outlander, which took up so much time. But outside of reading Outlander, I did then find myself reading some other Scottish historical fiction. And I really loved, I didn't read the whole series, but I read a few books in um, Grace Burroughs' The McGregor series, particularly The McGregor's Lady. I've read that like twice without meaning to. Like it was just so good that I like bought it and I found it on my shelf and I read it again. Um, and it's like the third book in an eight book series. Like it doesn't really, that's not the type of book you just pick up to reread, but it's, I believe an American woman who finds herself in Scotland. I think she's from Boston and she ends up in the care of this man's estate. Um, and over the course of living in his house, they fall in love. And then she has to like go back to her family in Boston because she has like a horrible stepmother that's not taking proper care of her younger half-siblings, and she feels like a very strong connection to protecting them, and um, she has to leave, but her McGregor man in Scotland doesn't want her to, and then they have to figure it out, and it was surprisingly emotional. It was great. I loved it. And it's a historical, so it's in the, in the past. And it is in the past, which is why this woman had to live in this man's house to, in order to be safe. Which that part's not super great, yeah, but uh, there's like a contemporary. Alyssa the forced Cole, proximity was enjoyable. Alyssa Cole wrote like a romance where like a woman goes to like a blacksmith thing. I don't know what they're called. The smithing. A smithy. In Scotland to like be their social media 
manager and it's like this big Scottish blacksmith man and they fall in love but it takes place in the modern era because she's doing his Instagram. I was about to say that what kind of historical is this? Is 2015 history now? (laughs) Uh, We mentioned before the mass market paperbacks and I feel like so many of those are historical romance Mm -hmm. and specifically the Scottish Highlander historical romance. Like I know that that book by Grace Burroughs that I read absolutely was a mass market paperback. I bought it at the grocery store. Um, But there seems to be several new cartoon cover series of historical romance that have been coming out. I read an article related to this sort of that the reason um, a lot of the romance covers have changed over the last few years is because there was only one woman who was like painted like she was painting them all and she passed away and they can no longer recreate them and they no longer have like the magic that she could imbue in them and that's why they've sort of moved away from those kinds of covers wow. like the stereotypical like the fabio covers, the fabio covers. Those yeah are paintings yes a lot of the not not so much anymore but the older ones and a lot of those covers are very artful like they're very beautifully yes. done too the, the traditional bodice rippers. Yes, I think things. that they, they, I mean, they're painted from photos, but like something about the way that she had been painting them had done something <laughs> that can no longer be done. So they've had to sort of move away from that. I think probably that also combined with uh, the popularity of the cartoon covers, which has taken over, like whether it is appropriate or not. Romance books will have a cartoon cover that used to sort of um, express something about the type of book it was. Like maybe it was sort of quirky or funny or lighthearted. But now, like those bodice rippers will have a cartoon cover. And so you don't know what to expect from what's inside of it. It used to mean something. And now it's they're all like that for marketing reasons, too, I feel like. They They saw that people would buy those cartoon covers a lot. And so now everything is that. Everything is that. But also now... It makes them more marketable because people were buying them for other reasons. But also now those cartoon covers are more socially acceptable to read on the train or so in just the a man's office. chest on your book or instead of Fabio, yeah. you can have a cartoon person. That's a good point. Oh, but anyway, some of those I just wanted to mention Evie Dunmore and Martha Waters in particular seem to be writing some new, more intentionally cartoon covery historical romances that seem to be doing really well like the regency vows series really kind of took off and um they're fun and they all take place um in london i believe or in in town and then also at various estates but it kind of deals with uh, the regency vows obviously it's the regency era but it deals with all kinds of peerage um and it's kind of interesting because it still has a lot of those tropes that we've come to expect from like the cartoon cover contemporary romances, um, but in a historical setting, which I find really enjoyable. It's sort of fun when authors are able to find a crossroads between those modern tropes and things that we're reading, and they throw it into an old context. It makes it a little more interesting because there are so many of those, like this Duke and his lady, or this Viking and his woman, this Scottish man, but... Spicing it up with like stuff that we like about now is, makes it a little more palatable for people who have a hard time with that genre. I exactly. Think. And it kind of opens more people up to the idea of reading historical, which is kind of fun. What are we 
ready to dive into just plain old regular romance? I don't even know what we would consider a plain old regular. Just contemporary cartoon cover or not, but, you know, happening in the here and now without a lot of unusual elements that would take it into another mm-hmm. genre. I've got one that I really liked uh, called Business or Pleasure by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Um, it's about this woman named Chandler who's a ghostwriter to a lot of celebrities, um, but really dreams of having her own career as a writer. But before she tries to strike it on her own, she gets offered this job of her life as the biographer for an actor who was famous for acting on a cult classic werewolf teen drama in the style of like a teen wolf. Uh, So she gets that job and she's really excited about what it's going to do for her career. Uh, So she goes out to a bar by herself to celebrate and has a one-night stand with this guy, this random guy, and it's the worst one-night stand of all time. Like, actually uncomfortable to read. It went so poorly. Um, And she's really happy that she'll never have to see this guy again. I think she maybe even gave him a fake phone number. And then the next day, when she goes to the first meeting with her new ghostwriting client, her one-night stand is the actor from the teen drama, Finn Walsh. Uh, So now she has to spend the next few months following him from convention to convention, uh, learning as much as possible about him so that she can write his autobiography that's really not auto. Um, and they decide to make a deal where she's going to teach him how to improve his game so that the next lady that he's with doesn't have such a bad time. But the next lady that he's with might end up being her after all the time they spend together. And, you know, spoiler alert, because there's the happily ever after it is her but it's just such a cute um it was really sex positive which is not something that you always find in these books like they're very open about it because she's trying to help him not because of there's a romance between them there really isn't to start with um but because they are getting to know each other in multiple different ways over the months that they're traveling around uh it really was satisfying for them to to be together in the end I don't know. And also, I always like an element of like a fandom thing in a book. So him being on one of these shows, even though I didn't watch Teen Wolf myself, I was adjacent to it on the internet. So it was really, it brought me back to those those days. The book I wanted to talk about is also about a show, kind of. Um, So it's Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dane. And it is about... um, a show that's kind of Game of Thrones, but isn't, but really is. Um, it's the main character is a fan fiction writer. No, that's a different one. There are three books in this series, sorry. She cosplays as one of the characters from the show whose love interest is like the most handsome man in the entire world. She's a plus size woman. So and the character is not. And so she cosplays somewhere and gets a lot of attention and posted on the internet where people make fun of her for not being the same body type as the character she is cosplaying as. And the actor comes to her defense and they end up going on like a fake date and then falling in love. You love to see it. <laughs> and it is called Spoiler Alert. So, you know, it. there is... There's a, there, oh, there is a lot of fan fiction in it. I believe he might write fan fiction, too. I believe he does. He writes right. fan fiction he about his own fan, show. Yes. And then, like, his friends... The, the rest of the series... I don't know if I read the third one in the series, but in the second one, one of the characters gets so excited... Or one of the actors gets so excited 
by the fan fiction of the character that he's playing uh, doing, um, I guess, kinky sexual acts, ends up writing his own because he thinks he could do it better. <laughs> and I don't know, it's really fun. And this is sort of, a lot of people were mad about this one because they were like, those, like, this is RPF, you guys are real person fiction. Which we have talked about in a previous episode, I think, unfortunately. Yeah, me specifically. I was going to ask about it when you were talking about the hockey romances, but I was like, no, I'm going to keep that one to myself. But here we are. Here we are. Uh, I only bring it up because there are a lot of uh, current popular romance books that are actually the same thing, and people are not as mad about it anymore, I think, even though they... Those particular ones all tend to do unhinged things. By that you mean they're based off of... They're based off of um, real people who played characters in movies. Not necessarily the movies all the time, but a lot of the time they are fan fiction of those movies. Fan fiction that has been published. With the serial numbers filed off. Mm-hmm. Making its crossover into to real fiction, non-fan fiction. Yeah. We can elaborate on those titles. Sure. So Allie Hazelwood, I think, is probably... The queen of this. The queen of this. Um, And weirdly, so she's part of the Raylo fandom, which is Rey and Kylo Ren from Star Wars. And her books are only very vaguely disguised, if you look at the covers. I've never read one. I personally have a problem with all Raylos, but that's just... (laughs) A, uh, a thing. I think also notably today, I think I actually saw Manacled is a really um, popular <laughs> Harry Potter fan fiction. What a title. I haven't actually read it, but it is quite a title. Oh, I have seen people um, binding their copies of it. People are doing that, but I guess no longer because as of, I don't know when the news broke, it's getting traditionally published. Well, yeah, well... now. Um, what's it's that rebranded book? Those um, are also Harry Potter fan fiction that were rebranded. Mm-hmm. Wow, I wonder is Manifold is very openly like a Harry Potter fan fiction. Like if you read it, read it, it's the characters. I believe so. So it's going to need to get a little bit of a rename, a rename. I haven't read it, but I do believe it is Draco Malfoy and Hermione Granger. Which it usually that's is. my favorite ship too. Hermione. Mm-hmm. I did. I did participate in writing Hermione fanfics. Romance fanfics. Look as out, a... Christina's book is getting published next. Perhaps no. she's secretly the author of Manacled, <laughs> we're not sure. Um, yeah, I think Allie Hazelwood is probably the most popular Raylo author that has made it to the mainstream. And somehow the least problematic. Well, <laughs> in my opinion, the most problematic, but that's just a personal grudge I have against Allie Hazelwood. Well, she didn't, she's not the one, well, I won't get into the other things that Raylos have done. <laughs> no, we won't. That might be for the best. Anyway. Meg, do you have any books that you would like to uh, recommend in like the contemporary romance Funny genre? Enough. I was looking at my list of just five-star romance reads, and the one that just pops up on top, I think based on just when I read it, is by Christina Lauren, and it's called um, Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating. But Christina Lauren, that little segue, is that they originally started writing together. It's an author named Christina and another author named Lauren that merged their names into a pseudonym. Um, They started writing Twilight fanfiction together. 
Um, and I believe some of their books got published um, as their Beautiful Boy series, potentially, which came out a while ago. Um, this one is more recent. But um, I think they're really big in the contemporary romance. They might be one of the leaders in the most popular, other than Colleen Hoover. But I feel like Christina Lauren, Colleen Hoover, um, Emily Henry, who's my favorite, um, are all really big names in just general contemporary romance right now. And we were talking about tropes before. Emily Henry's book lovers is all tropes all the time, um, which I loved. But it's very, it's like takes place in a big city, but also in a small town. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're sort of, they sort of work together. They're both um, bookish people. Um, they visit bookstores a lot. There's a bucket list that they have to try and complete. A bucket list, if you will. If you will. I will. Um, there's just so much happening, but it's so great. Um, and I feel like Emily Henry almost wrote it as like a love letter to romance readers and rom-com movie watchers. That's great. I feel like that's almost another subgenre of contemporary romance where it's very (laughs) self-aware and like paying tribute to the genre itself and those are a lot of fun sort of uh what what is the one um that the audiobook author that you really enjoy wrote thank you for listening by julia whalen which is about an audiobook narrator narrating audiobooks and falling in love with another audiobook narrator yes and she just acknowledges a lot of things that are common in the the audiobook romance fandom if you can call it that and we're just like the very specific world onto itself where someone who isn't a big audiobook reader or listener, I should say, wouldn't necessarily get all of the in-jokes. They would just enjoy the book, you know, at the surface level. But it is nice that it's a little, like, wink-wink for people who are in the know. Shall we take another break before we continue? Okay, we're going to take a break. And we're back, and uh, to wrap up our episode, we're going to do a a fun little activity we thought of. Uh, We had... Well, Christina, why don't you explain it? So I used AI to create some synopses of romanticy books for us. And I figured we could just read the little bits that they gave me here. So I asked Google Bard to give me um, the best romanticy novel with the most brooding love interest in which Google Bard told me. Unfortunately, there's no single best romanticy novel as tastes in brooding vary greatly, which felt like a personal roast of me. We also didn't talk about brooding at all. <sighs> it's sort of a, an important part of the romanticy yes. in particular, I feel like. Yes. They're always brooding. They're always brooding. Um, so oh, and one. actually also the historical romances too. Especially well, the Highlanders. Yeah, very yes, broody. That very A broody brooding. bunch. Up on a cliff or something? <laughs> Staring into the wind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is called Whispers, Whispers of the Moon King. I'm gonna, I'm blank gonna ding the, the blank, blank. Right, I'm gonna ding the title because it's not the court of something and something. It's still, yeah. The court of whispers and moonlight. So just a little Ooh, background on it. some of the characters. Take note, Google Bard. The first, the main character's name is Alara. A fiery scholar ostracized for her forbidden research into the Moon King's past. The Moon King. The Moon King, whose name is Caden. Of course no. it is. <laughs> K A I D A N. 
Yeah, that really <laughs> actually tracks. He's the Moon King is shrouded in shadows and silence, haunted by a tragic past that stole his warmth and laughter. That's laughter. Hmm. <laughs> it stole his laughter. And it and stole his laughter so much he only, doesn't want her researching it. The only other character that Google wanted to really mention is Morwen, the Moon King's loyal advisor. He serves as a bridge between the king and kingdom, understanding Caden's burdens and fearing the consequences of unchecked action. Is this a love triangle, perhaps, between Morwen and Caden and... What is her name? Alara. 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 So the plot is that uh, Alara's research leads her to discover a prophecy linked to the Moon King's hidden sorrow and a forgotten ritual that could break the curse upon him. However, performing the ritual requires immense trust and vulnerability, something the king has long sworn off. Wow. As Alara navigates the dangers of the royal court and grapples with the secret she's un- she uncovers, she begins to understand the depth of Caden's pain and the reasons behind his brooding demeanor. Drawn by her unwavering spirit and unwavering belief in him, Caden finds himself slowly opening and opening up to Alara. She's really not wavering in any regard. But trust comes at a cost. And as they delve deeper into the ritual, they face not only external threats, but also the inner demons that threaten to consume the Moon King. Wow. Would we read it? Google Bard went up. <laughs> I, hmm. Google Bard also gives me the themes to think about. Oh, yes. Okay. So, healing past wounds and confronting inner demons. Clearly. The power of trust and vulnerability in love. Absolutely. Facing societal expectations and embracing individuality. Through laughter. And the responsibility of power and the burden of leadership. I feel like it didn't really get into... (laughs) The burden of leadership stole his laughter. I feel like we should change this up a little bit. Yeah, the fact that his laughter specifically was stolen is very... um, Well... The thing I like about a lot of, like, the brooding love interest is that they often use, like, sarcasm mm. to mask their emotions. And I feel like if you don't have laughter... You can't really have sarcasm. You can't really have sarcasm. Because you're laughing a little on the inside, but he's yeah. not because it's no. been stolen. So then I don't think I would read it because part of what I love about so many of those dark, morally gray characters mm. in romanticy is their sarcastic wit. And he sounds like a little bit of a dud. I will say, yeah, though... a dud instead of a little shit. Just, yeah. Sad boy. I will say... I wish I had my I Heart Sad Boys monkey for this. It sort of... The further you got, the more I thought, oh, this is just Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Except <laughs> on the moon. So, I mean, I think oh, I might... on the moon? He's the moon king. The moon but king. I thought it was like... <laughs> No, I understand he's the moon king. Maybe I misunderstood. I thought it was more like really controlled the by the moon like, magic, I, maybe. I the tides. I don't know that he is the ruler of the moon or if the moon king is just a title. Mm. Mm. Well, we're not I don't want it to take place on the moon. No? I don't think so. He's just guided by the moon, I guess. Maybe. Sort of like a werewolf. Mm. Mm. Maybe that's where his laughter went. Mm. However, I am picturing... Which makes no sense in the context of this weird fantastical world, realm even, dare I say, um, is that in order for him to become king, his father had to have died. Yes? Sure. Right. So I'm thinking he was at a comedy show. (laughs) Perhaps the jester was performing for him. And when he found out, his father laughed too hard. (gasps) 
Oh, I was going to say, like, he was laughing, and then now he can never laugh again because so, his trauma. I, I had Google do another one without doing, like, the broody part. And sure. So I think Google has just an obsession with the sky um, because in this one, they live in a floating city amongst storm clouds. The main character is still named Alara, and the main in- love interest is Kale, K-A-E-L, a cloud warden tasked with safeguarding the city. And Serafina is in this one. Ooh. Our old friend. Serafina so. comes up in a lot of these AI-generated yes. romance tropes. Yeah. So does Alara, apparently. I just like the knockoff Kale. <laughs> Kale is famously a character from Sarah, well, maybe not infamously, yeah. um, from Sarah J. Mass's uh, Throne of Glass series. So this is, I guess, store brand. <laughs> store Kale. brand Kale. So I think it's safe to say that we would not, if Google Bard had this had a series, we would not be imbibing in this this particular romantic scene. Please speak no. for yourself. I would read it. You would read the second one. Because you did say already that you wouldn't. I read wouldn't it. read the first one, but only because he doesn't laugh. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by the Stormcloud Kingdom. Oh, it's called Lyrica. It's about the power of music. Mm, inside of a storm cloud. See, I'm intrigued. It's powered by the harmonious singing of its citizen. So Actually. Alara, um, her voice is discordant and she's forbidden to sing. Oh. Something that may be relatable to some readers and that's how they are able to insert themselves into the world. We do love a self And Serafina is the enigmatic high counselor. I don't know why... Oh, so the Morwen of this world. I don't know why Google Bard is like fixated on this like royal vizier type of character, but... Sometimes that's the, actually the villain of the series as well. That's true. Mm. It doesn't tell me who the villain is. That's for you to find out once you've read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else that may be a little more palatable? We're not, We're un- not unanimously enough. feeling the Google Bard. Are any of these more... Well, okay. I have a chat GPT one that's called Shadow Hearts Embrace about a mystical realm of Ardentia where magic and darkness intertwine. Okay. Lysandra's world is appended when she is summoned to the court of the enigmatic Prince Valerian, heir to the throne of Ardentia. Haunted by secrets and cloaked in brooding intensity, Valerian is rumored to possess powers beyond comprehension. His very presence shrouded in whispers of forbidden magic. As Lysandra navigates the treacherous intrigues of the royal court, she finds herself drawn to Valerian despite his dark reputation. Their chemistry ignites a forbidden romance fraught with danger and desire as they uncover long buried secrets that threaten to tear Ardentia apart. I didn't read this part, but Lysandra is a courageous sorceress burdened with a mysterious past and a rare gift for manipulating shadows. Well, and he's convenient. he's shrouded in shadows and yeah. she can manipulate the shadows. Yeah. She can save him and bring him out of the shadows. And their whole world. Yeah, Ardentia. I'd read it. I yeah. think I would oh, read it. they encounter mythical creatures, ancient prophecies, and... The true power of love. The true power of love. Bringing it all back to where it needs to be. That one, it's vague enough that it could be really amazing or not it be good be at all. awful. But you know what? I'd read it anyway. I think Google, so this that one was ChatGPT. I think Google got, Google gets really upset when you ask it to make the best of anything. We're like, I cannot do this. Google's perfectionist. And then it's also like, listen, this might not be right. Like, this is just an idea. Like, don't. Please don't sue me. Like that that's a disclaimer it gives but after But ChatGPT is like, hang on. Yeah, I got you. I have an idea. <laughs> and ChatGPT had the idea. I th- I think that one is the winner yes. out of out of what we've had. 
Well, thank you, Christina. I think that was a lot of fun. Yes, I did a lot of work to do that. <laughs> so I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, hopefully some of our suggestions uh, might help some of our listeners get more into the romance genre. And not run away from it. And not run away from <laughs> it. Uh, thank you for joining us. Come listen to us again next time. Bye. 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 Bye.